Welcome to episode 196 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. We're back at it again. I know. I feel like I saw you yesterday. <laughs> that is factually correct. We were in person. We recorded the last episode in person with special guest, the resident pastor of the podcast. So everybody should go back and listen to that if they haven't yet. Yes. Yeah, it was a great episode. I mean, we, we didn't even give him any coaching, and he was a better podcast host than we are. <laughs> is that just because the bar is so low with us, or because he's so good? I, I don't know. I think it's just that he's so good. I mean, we're not great, but he was just he just nailed it. So it, yeah. it must be because he's best friends with Joel Beaky, apparently. <laughs> I love that because you're really teasing that past episode hard and people should go and listen to it if they, they haven't should. Yet. You know, it was it, just looking at the feedback in our Facebook group, like the, people really enjoyed it. People really thought that it was useful. So um, speaking of which, that's something we haven't plugged in a little while. Should true. we talk about that real quick? It's true. Yeah, we have this Facebook group. It's on Facebook. You can find it by searching for the Reformed Brotherhood. It's nothing special to to it. Uh, we would love for you to join. We don't have any specific group requirements. Um, we don't have a lot of strict moderation. It's a pretty open forum. The one thing we don't tolerate is uh, people are going to bash on the name of Jesus. So if you're an atheist right. who happens to find our show and you want to join the group, then welcome. We're, we're happy to have you. Uh, but it is a Reformed Christian group that's there to promote Reformed Christianity um, in all of its various flavors. So, you know, we, we try not to be heavy handed about what we moderate. But if you're coming there just to undermine that, then you're not going to last for very long. But uh, we welcome questions. We welcome open discussion. Uh, it's not as strict as some other Facebook groups, which no uh, no harm, no foul on other groups that have stricter rules. We're just not there. Uh, and we would love to see that group grow. And here's what I think is great about the group, like the real value is that there's so many people just interacting with each other about questions or just basic dialogue. It's actually really a pleasure to be a part yeah. of. So I'm hoping there's something a little bit special that's happening there with respect to just the conversation. So even if you're just curious, like you just want to stock what's going on, it's worth probably joining just to see what shows up in your feed as a result of the conversation that's happening there. Yeah. And some of that conversation feeds into episodes that are going to take place in the future. Sometimes we get ideas from conversations there. Sometimes it's the result of episodes that have happened. Yeah. So it's, in some ways, it's like the deleted scenes, like the things that like, get cut, the additional content, things that like want to unfold and have more robust conversation as a follow-up. It's all happening right there. So if this is not strong enough a plug, I'm not sure what is. <laughs> yeah, so check it out. I'm not going to say I'm going to put it in the show notes because I never put anything in the show notes. <laughs> but uh, go to Facebook. If you search for Reform Brotherhood, you're going to find our page, which you should like. And you're also going to find the group, which you should join. Uh, right now, we have uh, group admission turned on. So you have to wait until someone approves your uh, application, but we don't have any rules. So there's no reason you wouldn't get accepted. Uh, we have rules. We don't have any rules about who gets to join the group. Right. But uh, yeah, we would love for you to join. And right now, it's time for affirmations and denials. So it is. I'm going to give you, once again, like the dealer's choice option here. You want to go negative or positive first? Let's do positives first this week. Yes, I'm glad you did that. All right, you go first. All right, well, I am affirming 
Jordan Embry, who is one of the hosts of the uh, Reformed Pilgrims podcast. And you may have noticed if you're a subscriber to the Reformed Pilgrims feed or to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed that there hasn't been a lot of new content coming out. Um, All three of those guys are super busy. Jordan's a a relatively new pastor, at least new to his church. He's super busy. Uh, He's got a bunch of young kids. He's got like a baseball team. He's starting over there. Um, (laughs) Nick has a new baby and a new puppy and Jim uh, just, you know, is, is retired but he's doing some new stuff that he's doing too all of this on top of covid so they've they've uh haven't put out much content lately but jordan uh is a fantastic preacher so i'm affirming his sermon specifically so if you're not a subscriber to the society of reform podcaster mega feed you need mega to become feed. one because i'm going to start syndicating his sermons into our feed he's just that good um he's he's straightforward he's a expository and exegetical and he speaks in plain language he's just an excellent preacher so i want everybody to go uh listen to uh his sermons through the society of reform podcaster feed i can totally jump on board with this jordan is great i've actually stalked him personally i'm not ashamed to say and listen to <laughs> that's <laughs> a that's face. a weird segue <laughs> well i just mean of course like because we have this little group that's like all these, in some ways, like vetted podcasters of like-mindedness. I, I looked up some of these guys and Jordan is great. And so I think that this is worth listening to. This is like just a wonderful benefit of living in the day and age in which we do, which is the ability to not replace your local preaching, but to like supplement it, to get some perspective and resource from other great preachers. And I love this for me is like the equivalent of like finding a brand new band that nobody knows about yet and just being able to listen to enjoy it. This is the same thing. So Jordan's, I think a good example of that. Here's just a dude that loves the Lord that is preaching a solid way that's serving in a way that's humble and unassuming. And so I didn't know you were going to throw the, his sermons into the feed, but that's just to everybody's great benefit. Yeah. I, I mean, you're going to love it. When you hear it, you will love it. So there's another plug. Go get the mega feed. It's everything you want and more. And the more is Jordan's sermons. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, in, in case for some reason you don't want to subscribe to the mega feed, I don't know why you wouldn't want to subscribe to the mega feed. Uh, but if you it. want to check Stop out it. Jordan's sermons apart from the mega feed, he is the pastor at Christ Community Church, which is in Blaine, Washington. Uh, you can go to the website. There's links to the sermon feed. You can listen to the sermons right there. Uh, I would encourage you to check it out too. Send him an email, encourage him. Um, being a pastor in a small area, a rural area in super liberal Washington uh, is not easy. So uh, listen to his sermon, send him some encouragement. He's working through Jonah right now. He just finished up a series in First John uh, a little while ago. It was excellent. Um, he's just a really good preacher. I mean, he, he's he's one of the few people that is engaging enough that yes. I actually slow down the podcast to one time speed just to sort of like Ooh. soak in the, the, the sermon. I just really enjoy listening to him preach. So I can't, listen, can't recommend people- it strong enough. For people who don't maybe know you well enough, that is perhaps the highest praise that a recorded audio can receive, that you would bring it into the actual real-time speed. (laughs) Yeah, it either means that you're really good and I want to enjoy it, or you're really bad and I want to get through it. But in this case, it's because he's really good and I want to enjoy it. He's really good. And I would argue, maybe we should do a podcast on this, like underrated books of the Bible. I think Jonah... Yeah, is one of those underrated or everybody thinks they know exactly what it says books. So I've heard some of his recent preaching on this. It is stellar. So yeah. this is this is a great recommendation. I 
I can tell I'm always on board with recommendations, but I didn't see this one coming. You always surprise me. And this is really good. Yeah. What about you? What are you affirming? Well, not surprisingly, nothing perhaps as spiritual as what you just said, <laughs> which is why I don't know why I keep suggesting you go first. I'm going to try to over-spiritualize this. So Jesus seemed to speak at least at some times about birds and birds of the air. <laughs> so, I don't know where this is going, but I can't wait. Yeah, I know. It's great. I obviously, like many people, not obviously, I guess people don't actually know me. I was working from home for a period of time because of COVID-19. And during that time, I put out a bird feeder. And so I'm just affirming with like bird feeders. Everybody should go and grab just a cheap, because that's all I have, like a cheap little bird feeder. You can set it up on like one of those like even little stands, just like wire stands. You don't have to like attach to anything in particular. You can put it wherever you want. But if you put it in a place where you can see it, there's something you can just like suction cup to your windows. Seeing birds eat for some reason is so amazingly beautiful and wonderful in ways that I think in some ways transcend description. Maybe this is super hipster. Maybe it's everything that's in vogue right now because you're at home and there's a lack of things to do and see and to appreciate and to be entertained by. But I don't know. There's something about watching birds eat the seed that you provided that is just absolutely (laughs) beautiful. So I think wherever you live, there are birds So feed those birds, especially if you live in a place where you get four seasons or at least the winter season, you can see a lot of amazing birds in your own community. This is just turning into like a weird PSA. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just affirming with the feeder. That's all I got to say. Feeder, totally support it. Nice, nice. You know, I I saw a funny video the other day that was a guy who was basically, he set up an obstacle course in his backyard to see if he could find a way to actually prevent the squirrels from getting to his bird feeder (laughs) and they learned every single one of the obstacles they are like super smart, amazing little animals that just learn everything. Uh, And we had a bird feeder when we lived in Connecticut and to try to fix the squirrels attacking it, we actually set up a squirrel feeder with a box that has a lid that they had to like, they have, it's supposed to keep them busy longer because they have to like figure out how to open the lid and they can't like just sit there and shovel the food into their mouth. And I came outside one time and there was this big fat squirrel that was inside that (laughs) box, like covered in (laughs) seed, just shoveling food into his mouth. That is totally wild. Although I've also had some experiences where the squirrels get a little out of control at the feeder, but even that is worth watching. And, And I would escalate this affirmation just one more incremental step. There's a pun here that's coming, but it's not going to be awesome. Because <laughs> while I was hanging out with you in New Hampshire, I saw that my father had acquired a hummingbird feeder. And it's possible that hummingbirds are the cutest and most profound little creatures that yeah. God has ever created. And what blew me away is I always thought that they'd come to the feeder and they would hover in midair, which is super cool by itself, but they were landing on this little rod and then looking around and drinking. It was like, I wanted to snuggle them all. I don't know. It was just an overload of cuteness because of them just sitting there. I've never seen like a hummingbird at rest. So it was amazing. Yeah. It's funny. I I came out of the house with the dog um, and a hummingbird literally like poked his head around the side of the feeder, like, (laughs) cognated that we weren't going to come get it and then like went back like it it literally just like looked around i was like oh they're not going to attack me and then went back to eating it's crazy this is your reformed hummingbird cognition podcast yeah it was the aviary cast (laughs) well done all right well let's get into some denials what do you got 
So mine is tangentially related to birds as well. So really? as, as we are recording this podcast, it's like 90,000 degrees outside. So this is a little reformed Brotherhood weathercast. I know we try to avoid it, but sometimes it just dominates everything. It's like 90 degrees. I, I feel like I'm melting, like not not like in the good way, like the pounds are melting off. But like like in I feel like my body is turning into jello and just like collapsing into a puddle. <laughs> it is so hot out that the crows are outside panting. Have you ever seen a crow pant? It's weird. Yeah, they're like walking around with their mouths open, panting. It's, ridiculous. it's disturbing, actually. It, it's very disturbing. And, and it's just... I don't know. It's 2020, so maybe we're getting too close to the sun. I don't know. Like, but it's bad out. It's really hot. Hashtag that post mill. Yeah, that, that post mill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Take that. Cruise. Hashtag 2020 post mill. <laughs> that should end the argument right there. But yeah, when crows are panting, it's strange because it's not like dog panting. You're not seeing a lot of heaving. You're just seeing these birds, which are sometimes massive, walking around ominously with their mouths open. Yeah. And it looks kind of apocalyptic, like not quite Alfred Hitchcock. The birds more freaky because you want to say there's something wrong with that bird. And I'm really freaked out by what it's doing right now. Yeah. Well, crows are like ridiculously intelligent for birds of their size. So, like, we have a pod, or I, I don't know if it's a murder of crows, because there's only four of them, but it's clearly, like, a family unit. They're always together. They're traveling around. And, like, that's normal. Like, crows actually have been known to come back to their, like, nesting grounds to care for their elderly parents. It's it's ridiculous how smart they are. But there's these four birds that just stand in our, in our yard, and when crows pant, they always, like, sort of sit with their heads back and their mouths open, and all four of them were just sitting in the yard doing that. And I walked by, and they kind of, like, glanced over at me, and they're like, it's too hot to fly away. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's bad. I, thought, I really thought that was going in a different direction. That was not it. I really anticipated you were going to say, they gave you a look like, come at me, bro. They're just all no. sitting there. Like, if you want some, come and get some. I feel like they were like, if the, if you want some, this is the time to get it because we're not moving. <laughs> That's so good. And can I just affirm in the midst of your denial, excellent use of the right name for a group of crows. Well done. You just sneaked that right in there as if it was, it was totally fluid. Really appreciated it. I'm not sure if four crows constitutes a murder of crows, though. Does it? Like, oh. how many do you need to have? Like, four ducks wouldn't be a flock of ducks. <laughs> And like four sheep standing around in my front yard wouldn't be a, like a herd of or a flock of sheep, right? I don't know if it's subjective. I just love that that's a question we legitimately just started tackling on this episode. Hey, Siri, <laughs> how many crows are there in a murder of crows? This is great podcasting. Okay, I find this on the web for how many crows are there in a murder of crows. Yeah, Check they don't. Out. They don't really. They didn't tell me. Siri, shut up. I All think right. it's one of those that I'm fine with four. I'm willing to, is this, is this one of those things you're looking for a scriptural reference? Like when X number of crows are gathered together, it's a murder. No, but I did read that passage today where Jesus just drops out of nowhere. He's like where the vault, where the corpses are, the vultures are also, and there's no commentary or explanation on it. He just throws it out there. I love that. A lot of, actually we got, we're getting a lot of good bird talk and connecting are. it to a, lots of different spiritual concepts. Yeah. What about you? What are you denying today? Well, before I knew that this was going to be the aviation episode of the, you know, like the, we're going to talk about all kinds of birds and relate them to scripture. I paired my 
paired, I paired my <laughs> affirmation and denial to be bird related. So now it just seems like I'm oh, continuing man. the trend, but I'm in the same thing. I, I wanted it to be coupled and tightly coupled together. So uh, I'm affirming that the bird feeder is amazing to just go get one, watch the birds. You will love it. But in that same vein, I'm denying against this bird called the grackle. Which, oh, we've done this before. Yes, but I'm back at it again. Oh, because, man, don't be a grackle. Listen, the thing about the grackle is they just came back so hard, and, and I don't know what's up with them. And I feel bad for, I call them my birds, my other birds, because <laughs> they just get scared away by the grackles. But the reason why I'm coming back at it round two and I'm doubling down with this denial is because, I again, it seems like we planned this, but I want to emphasize one last time if I can. And none of this was planned. Yeah. Not a single thing here. But the reason why I was come back on this again was because I just learned that. Do you know what a group of grackles is called? No, but it's got to be terrifying. They're referred to as a plague. A plague of grackles? A plague of grackles when they're oh, in man. a group. And I, I just looked it up to find that number because I knew you were going to ask that next. It doesn't say. We don't know. But... Plague implies a larger number, and that's kind of what they are. Like they're just really mean-spirited birds. So they're super cool looking, and again, yeah, a little they're really bit pretty. Yeah, and they've got like we talked about before. They're kind of iridescent. It looks like they're dark, and they've got like an oil slick. Like in the sun, they look amazing. They are absolutely beautiful, and they also have like large white beady eyes. So they're kind of freaky. But when they get in the mix on the feeder, they just scare everything away. Yeah. So they're kind of punks like that, which is my original denial back probably in like episode 20, but yeah, I'm doubling uh, well, down we, on this. We reappropriated the term grackle. We did. I think at the time it was people who comment on blog articles without reading them. So you could extend that and it could be like people who, who like write reviews about books that they haven't read or sure. make snarky comments about podcasts they don't listen to. Right. It's a particular type of trolling. I think we decided. And in a way, it is a plague of its own. So I yes. do feel like it fits very succinctly into this denial. So, so this like is... if we were going to rename Geneva Commons, we would call it the Plague of Grackles. <laughs> That's How do you actually like me now? Su such a good name for one of three things: a band, a website, yes. or a new podcast, <laughs> or also possibly the the mystery hidden eleventh plague of the Exodus. <laughs> It's just, it's just grackles. Yes, the plague of grackles. I mean, they're afraid of people, obviously, but they're they're no crows. It's not like a panting crow, but it's certainly of the garden variety birds. It seems to be among some of the most aggressive. Yeah, they are little monsters. Yeah, there's... but they're very puntable because they're tiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can only hope that's going to generate some really good email. You can yes. email us at info at reformedbrotherhood.com. Yes, it's true. Well, why don't we get into our topic today, Jesse? I know that this was a topic that you thought we should talk about, and I think it's a great idea. It's really timely. So why don't you let us know what we're talking about today? Okay, it's not birds, though this was... Well, this I mean, the, we're talking about birds, too, but the The most now. bird theme you'll ever get, probably, on one of our podcasts until the next episode. Yeah. What the whole purpose of our conversation I want to have with you is to around this idea of everything that's happening in the world right now and that Christians are finding themselves not in a new place. And we can talk about that, but they're finding themselves for their own lives in a new place. Many of us in the Western world where because of everything that's surrounding COVID-19, that governments have stepped in with precautionary measures 
that they are either politely imploring their citizens to do or they're downright commanding them to do. And so there's been so much discussion among Christians, among Christian communities, whether it was the mandate for quarantine or it's to wear masks, around where's the line in all of this? In other words, is any of this worthy of civil disobedience? And how do we start to actually process these things? Because back in December, for most of the world, these would only be like armchair theological questions. We could sit and talk about them. They'd be interesting to ponder. But now we're actually talking about people living in an environment where day to day, they're trying to understand the choices that they make and whether they comport with the scriptures or whether they're against it. And again, are there shades of gradation within all of this where we need to measure what it means to understand civil disobedience? And we need to properly understand how the scriptures inform where we make our stand. So that's kind of like the general idea. And I think we can approach it from lots of different directions, but I figured let's just start there. And maybe we should stay, we should start with this as well. And I'll, I'll turn it over to you for some of your own. I want to say personally, as like by way of disclosure that I I really, my, my intent of bringing this up was that people would understand us rightly and that they would also maybe be a little bit charitable and gracious in what we're saying here. We're processing this in the real time as well, and we have our convictions. You and I have talked about this, actually, somewhat extensively. But what we're certainly saying here is that we are pro-Jesus, pro-the church, pro-the family of God, pro-Christians loving one another as we process this stuff. And I think that there are, in fact, firm lines. But I want to get that out there to begin with, that what we're trying to do is actually, I think, bring unity in our understanding of what the scripture says in situations like this. And then because of that, bring unity in our and conformity to the scriptures and to each other in our response so that there's almost you know, kind of this massive Christian understanding so that we're doing this together in a way that honors God and honors one another and cherishes uh, the church. So all those things like are, are in play here. So I, I want to be a good citizen, but I want to be a better Christian. And yeah. so we need to understand how to do all those things. And then let me say one more thing before I turn it over to you for if you have your own disclosures so that everybody understands this properly, <laughs> is I want to just start by a nuance by way of disclosure in terminology. I'm not a huge fan when people say like, this is an unprecedented time, especially like this is unprecedented right. for the church to respond to this. I know what they're saying, just that it's of a greater magnitude than we're used to. I get that. But this isn't unprecedented. And so we, we've talked about a long history that we could look to that's helped us to color and characterize how we might respond in this. That's the first thing. The second thing is, in terms of the nuance by disclosure, I'm not a big fan of saying these are uncertain times. Because right. I think what we're trying to convey is that there's a lot that's unknown. But what's certain is that God is in control. Yeah. So I think that part of this conversation as we start with the disclosure is to frame it properly. So do you have anything that you want to say up front that I'm trying to like set us up to like head off any kind of strange questions or reactions? But I want to get that out there so people know we're trying to do this charitably and lovingly. Yeah. You know, I think in terms of like framing the conversation, I think it bears saying that there are some non-negotiables that our common reform tradition has about how we interact with our government. And those non-negotiables are that as Christians, we're obligated to obey lawful commands. And we'll we'll talk about all of this and how it plays in. But we're obligated to obey lawful commands. It's not um, it's not a situation where like it's a great idea or yeah you probably should we're obligated to obey lawful commands and we'll talk about why that is and we're obligated to honor our governors our our ruling authorities those who are in positions of authority over us uh even if they are acting dishonorable right, right. and i think those those two kind of um boundary markers or fence posts 
help us to sort of have this conversation and stay within the Reformed tradition. Because one of the things that I think people don't always realize about the Reformation is it's deeply steeped in uh, political theory in terms of how the church and the state relates to each other. So we're very quick to point at the soteriological elements of the Reformation, which is true, and and the the chief issue in the Reformation. Uh, We're quick to point to some Christological differences between uh, the Reformed and the Lutherans. We're, we're quick to point to ecclesiological differences and how we worship and how we organize the church. Um, and we're even quick to point at um, things like how we interpret the second commandment. But one of the things that we don't usually understand and we don't think about is that the way that the Lutheran uh, bodies related to their governments, as opposed to or in contradistinction to the way the Reformed related to their, their governing bodies. And then you could even go and, and talk about the Reformed Baptists or the particular Baptists and the, you know, Continental and Presbyterians. Right. Those things all play into this. And the Reformed have a very particular way of understanding that the church isn't the state, the state isn't the church, uh, the church isn't necessarily over the state, and the state isn't over the church, but there's this sort of... Um, a synergistic or, or symbiotic relationship between the church and the state. And part of that relationship is that the church is duty bound, both as individuals and corporately to give honor to the state, to pray for those in places of authority and governing responsibility, and then to obey them in, in so far as it does not require us to disobey the law of God. So those things set the, set the boundary markers for what we can talk about in terms of civil disobedience. If someone just says, I I don't like the speed limit, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going right. to drive as fast as I want. That's not within the boundaries. Even even if the speed limit is arbitrary, even if you say that the, the governor shouldn't, the government shouldn't have the authority to regulate how how quickly we move on the road. It's not causing you to disobey the laws of God to adhere to a certain speed limit. Now, I suppose you could make an argument that if they said you have to drive a certain speed and it's it's dangerous to do so, it's it's an unnecessary threat to life. You could make those kinds of arguments. But in most everyday situations, simply deciding to disobey kind of because I want to um, or because I don't think that the, the government should do this, those aren't really on the table for reformed Christians. And I think that's a really great place to start because the Paragon, as you said, the touchstone is really... Is, does this law require me to disobey God's law? Are they at literally at odds with one another? And the reason why I think this is a good conversation for right now is I'm seeing so much stuff online that's couched either explicitly or implicitly around this idea of, well, the law, an unjust law need not be followed. And that's yeah. somehow being like appropriate as like the Christian stance. Like that's what the Bible says when there's a law that's unjust, but still within the realm of not coming against the hard law of God, then it doesn't need to be followed. There's some reason to be disobedient in that. And I think that what we're seeing here is that this is just kind of maybe more illuminating that profound nature of our hearts that is inclined towards some kind of rebellion, if we can just be given a reason to. But if we look at the scripture, just by valuing that argument, and we could sit here and just talk about, well, what what do we mean by when we say unjust, and whose standard is that, and are you making it subjective or objective according to the scriptures? But the way you just phrased it, I'm just going to follow right into that lane. What I'm reminded of is, I know you and I talked about Romans 13 being one of those quintessential passages that Christians go to, but especially the Reformed person and really understanding what it means. And yet when we look at that passage, what I'm blown away by, especially in this context, is how quickly we forget the context in which Paul is writing. Right. So of course, 
Nero was emperor when Paul wrote that. And what Paul says, like, if you know, and that really the insane amount of evil that who Nero was as a person, both as a, as a political leader, uh, as a person. And he's, when he, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. This is written to a people that are legitimately suffering unjustly. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it to be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. That is an incredible statement. Like I think sometimes right. we just, it, it goes right over our head. We interpret that as for the most part, be peaceable with the government authorities in so much as it doesn't bother you, doesn't inconvenience you, and you don't think there's any kind of moral stand that you want to take against it if you're so inclined. But that's not what Paul says here. So like, there's right. this is what I say about Christianity all the time. I think I've said this a couple of times on our podcast. Christianity, as it's delivered, as, as Jesus being both the message and the savior, it makes outsized demands. And this is an outsized demand to me because the only way that we accomplish this that we suffer unjustly is if we can do, if we do so under the loving care in the radical redefinition of perspective that comes to the Holy spirit. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. So I think, I think to frame this, I want to read a couple statements out of the Westminster standards. So the, the first one that I want to read is, um, you know, Westminster confession, chapter 23, the whole section, it's not very long, but it's about how it's specifically this question. What is the theology of the Westminster standards in reference to the civil magistrate? And the first big point is, uh, Right off the top, uh, section one, it says, God, the supreme Lord and king of all the world, right? So this is saying God is the one who rules and reigns over all the world. He says, hath ordained civil magistrates. And this is this is what's astounding to me. He says, to be under him, under God, right. over the people for his own glory and the public good. Right. So, so it's not quite right to say that the government or the civil magistrate is acting as a mediator between God and the people, but the the civil magistrate is positioned between God and the people in terms of direct rule. So God, God rules over the church and the church is ruled or reigned over by pastors. Pastors execute the, the government of the church elders do, uh, and deacons to a different in a different way. And in the, in the non-church matters, the civil magistrate is placed, placed over the people and under God for the good of the people, but also for God's glory. And for this end, this, the confession says, God hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. So it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Nero or, or whether we're talking about Stalin or Gasp Hitler, right? God God put all of these rulers in place for a purpose. And that purpose was to be for God's glory and, and for the public good. Now, a good, just ruler accomplishes those ends. A bad ruler like Hitler or Stalin does not accomplish those ends and actually acts opposed to those ends. And that's why this idea of lawful commands is so important. And so the confession goes on in section four here. Um, it's it, section two, just so we get the whole 
line of argumentation. Section two basically says that it's lawful for Christians to work in this in the arena of magistrate, um, but when they do, they're still Christians. And so you don't have a Christian life, and then you don't shut that off when you walk into the halls of government. So this this speaks against like the the myriad Roman Catholics in the Democratic Party who want to say, well, personally, I'm opposed to abortion, and my church is opposed to abortion, but. I would never vote for a statute that does that because my religious life and my personal life are, or my, my government life are separate. That This is saying like, yep, yeah, be a Christian, go ahead and be a magistrate, but you're still a Christian when you are in the magistracy. Right. Um, and then section three basically says the church can't be the state and the state can't be the church. So section four then goes on. It says, it's the duty of people to pray for magistrates to honor their persons, right? We often hear that like, well, we have to honor the office, but we don't have to honor the the person. That's not allowed in the Reformed tradition, right? We honor not only the office, but we honor the persons themselves. We respect and honor the magistrates, not just the office of magistrate. And it says here, we are to pay them tribute or other dues. In our context, we could talk about lawful taxes. And then to obey their lawful commands and to be subject to their authority for conscience sake. And here's where I think this is some fruitful ground for us to talk about as a a Reformed community is infidelity or difference of religion does not make void the magistrate's just and legal authority, nor free the people from their due obedience to them, right. from which ecclesiastical persons are not exempt, much less much less hath the power, the Pope, any power or jurisdiction over them in their dominion or over any of their people. Um, and, and so what that's saying is um, we're obligated to pray for and honor magistrates as persons, not just their office. We're obligated to pay their tributes or dues, which in our context would be taxes. And we are, we're obligated to obey lawful commands and be subject to their authority. And we do that not grudgingly, but for conscience sake. Even if they're not Christians, even if they're heretics, even if they are atheists who hate God, even if they're opposed to the things of Jesus Christ, we're still required, regardless of those things, to honor them as magistrates and to respect their just and legal authority. And I think that's something that a lot of people in our context are missing. I see it all the time when people are talking about Trump. Right. I'm not a Trump supporter. I, I think you and I have both been pretty honest about the fact that like we're not like we, we just right. aren't. I, I think he's he isn't been a terrible, terrible president. He is a recklessly immoral person. And uh, but but again, that immorality in his personal life does not va- uh, va- invalidate his authority as the president of the United States. Um, and so we have to understand this idea of lawful commands, because that's when we get to the topic of civil disobedience. That is where we now have to uh, have to root ourselves is in those lawful commands. And the confession here, I think, does have in mind not only the law of God, like it's it's primarily the law of God, but also if the governor, uh, if the government orders you to murder somebody, right, that would be a violation of the law of God. But it's also a violation of the law of the land. Right. So you don't have to listen to the government if they tell you to do something that is contrary to the laws of the government. If the local police, if the local police chief says, don't you dare pay your state taxes, he doesn't have the authority to do that. It's, it's commanding you to do something illegal. And here's the kicker. Commanding you to violate the law of the land is commanding you to violate the law of God because the law of God commands you to vi- to come to obey the law of the land. So we can't draw this firm distinction. 
But at the same time, most of us are not legal scholars. Most of us are not legal experts. And and what I see a lot of times is people who are saying, well, this is just constitutionally uh, it's, it's against the Constitution. It's it's against the, the principles of justice in our country. It's against this law. It's against that law. I saw one that basically said that the, the governor of a state didn't have the authority to declare a curfew in the way that he did. And his argument was, well, he didn't actually use the word curfew. Well, I, I'm not a legal scholar, but I don't think he has to use the word curfew when all of the elements of a curfew are in place. Like it, it gives him the authority to do the constituent parts of a curfew, whether he actually uses the word curfew in his executive order or not. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a legal scholar either. But when we, we take it upon ourselves to assess the validity of a law and we're not competent to do so, we put ourselves at great risk. Yeah, I totally agree with that, obviously. I mean, I think what is striking to me is that I'm going to go out on a limb and this might trigger some people, but that's kind of our jam. <laughs> I think that this is actually not that complicated for the most part. Yeah, like we could sit here and come up with like a million really strange, esoteric, hypothetical situations of probably impossible possibilities. And we could say, you know, what about this in that situation? What do Christians do? But I actually think the rub of this is that it's actually fairly clear to see because the exceptions we're talking about are by God's grace exceptions that most of us have never actually had to contend with. And the exception is any governmental edict that contradicts the commands of God must be disobeyed. Right. And what we're talking about in the context of COVID is things that are new to us that we just don't like because they, for the most part, cramp our style or because they infringe or press upon what we feel are certain rights that are probably more have to do with our cultural or political leanings than they actually have to do with the scriptures. And I think that's what makes this so radical is that what God is saying, especially through the example of Jesus Christ, is that what you just said, that, that's really important. In, if you're going to disobey, be disobedient to human government, that is, I don't know, like most of the time, like the, not just the plurality of the time, but like we're talking like 99% of the time, that's disobedience to God. And government deserves not only obedience, but honor. And right. for some of us, especially in the West, when we hear that, we already, maybe some people are already bristling because they f it feels too restrictive. It feels yeah. like I should be able to assert some sense of right. And that's not what the scripture uh, gives us as an example. And what I love that's embedded even in what you just read in from chapter 20 there is that there's a reminder, like I, I'm picking up hints of this, that there's a reminder to us that God disciplines the rulers of nations, that when he sets them up, it's still not only just under his control, but it's not as if he's silent on the matter. It's not as if he's, right. of course, nobody's going to listen to us and say, well, I'm going to contend that God made a mistake and that he knows it. Like, obviously, I, I think that word, like beyond that, that seems plain to us. Right. And yet, if that's true, then like when we look at like, I'm thinking of like Daniel. So I just pulled up Daniel chapter two here, verses 20 and 21. Daniel says, this is him answering. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. So those characteristics themselves are everything that all our politicians dream of being able to have and hold in consummate harmony, but God has them. He changes times and seasons. That's nothing anybody can do except for God. And he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives yeah. wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And then in chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 27, this is Daniel responding to the king. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So, 
God is intimately, of course, involved in all these decisions. And I think we know that in our minds. But the question is, can can we behave like that? Like when it comes to orders of wearing a mask or keeping social distancing, where are our attitudes? Because I think it's easy to understand this on the face that God is disciplining the nations, that God is sovereign over all things, that God is the one who is setting up, he weighs, right, the nations on a scale like dust to him. So if this is all true, then in some ways I see like all this arguing online about whether or not I have to wear the mask or under what conditions. I'm just wondering if like we're having a discussion that's more in the political realm or in the cultural realm or in the realm of personal rights and freedom that somehow we're just trying to like suck in or appropriate like a little bit of like this Christian worldview and justify yeah. what is the argument that shouldn't even be taking place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're, I think you're probably right. Like we, one of the things that I'm, I'm probably going to get a little bit heat for is I think a lot of times what we think about in terms of biblical Christianity is really just Western American, you know, idealism oh, sure. with with baptized language, right? For sure. And I think that happens in all sorts of ways. It happens with various perspectives on the family, right? If you want to live in a biblical family, then you better ask mom and dad to move in. You better ask your aunt and uncle to move in. You know, multi-generations. There's a whole complex of things happening in the Bible in terms of how the family is structured. That that doesn't look like 1960s, you know, leave it to beaver America. But when you talk to people about what biblical family structure is, that's usually what they describe, right? They describe this sort of 1950s idealistic understanding. There's nothing wrong with that. I, th- I think actually in our current modern era, that's actually an ideal family structure. I, I think that that encapsulates the principles of family that the Bible gives us. But But what we talk about a lot of times when we talk about like, Christian liberty, Christian freedom. Right. When we talk about that, what we're really talking about in a lot of ways is this idea of kind of American freedom, right? And and, and there's nothing wrong with that. People are put into a particular culture by God for a reason, and our government has certain liberties that are in that we're entitled to. And so there's nothing wrong with with sort of laying claim to those liberties. But we also have to recognize that part of the essence of what it means to live out the Christian life is to be willing to sacrifice your own personal rights for the benefit of others, right? I heard a really interesting, um, I don't even remember where it was, what it was. It must have been a podcast of some sort, but it was a discussion about taking up your cross and how, how the idea of taking up your cross cannot simply just be about being willing to die, Right. Because the right, way that Jesus exactly. describes it, it's a daily task. Well, you can't die more than once. So taking up your cross is really more about submitting yourself to suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of following Jesus Christ. And I think that when we talk about freedom, right, we, we did a whole episode on Christian liberty that went a very different direction than most most podcasts do on Christian liberty. Rather than defend our freedom to do things, we actually indicated that like Christian liberty is about the freedom to give up your own prerogatives, right? It's about the freedom not to feel like I have to drink beer because I'm, you know, because I'm in a context where someone doesn't like it. I have the freedom to sacrifice my own personal preferences in order to to benefit someone who's around me. And I think that's where we need to reorient ourselves. But I do think that, you know, we should pivot a little bit and talk about well, what when when do Christians exercise civil disobedience? When should we 
say we're not going to do that and and how do we do that i think that that there's a right way to do civil disobedience right there's a way that that does civil disobedience that still honors the government and obeys the lawful commands that we can and and respects their persons and then there's a way to do civil disobedience that is stubborn and rebellious and just sort of sticks their thumb at you know at people and it, it it isn't that's not honoring to god either Right. Well, let's let's go there and let's shape that conversation. I want to just throw out really quickly three passages of scriptures to give people like a flavor for what we're talking about. Yeah. And these are places like explicitly where the scriptures are providing either example or direct command, but mostly example of when this type of civil disobedience is not only appropriate, but is demanded under what would be appropriate obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So in Acts 5, for instance, Peter and the apostles, they're being persecuted, they're being beat up, they're being uh, thrown in jail. And Peter, with their, in the, every time, as they're being dragged in and dragged out, they're being told, like, just shut your mouths, stop talking about Jesus. And in Acts 5, 29, one sentence, Peter and apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So right. that, but here's the thing, as you know, that phrase, that quote gets thrown a lot, as, and we just pulled yeah. it out of context. But the context is they're being told to not talk about the gospel anymore. Here's another one real quick. And these are just like little snippets to get a flavor. Daniel three eighteen. This is, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Or, and so they say, but if not, this is where they're being threatened to th- be thrown into the fiery furnace. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So there's a clear context too. Right. And then without any commentary, I hope this is coming across as like the type of environment we're talking about to set you up for uh, what the, what the, the confession's saying, and how we can move forward in this. Lastly, I love this example, Exodus chapter one. This is verses 17 and 20 and 21. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Also, yeah. they have among like the best names in yeah. the Bible. Shifra, yeah. Pua. Pua. Great names. But like these, these are, this is the context. Like I think sometimes we start, I, I like the way you frame this. We start on the other side of this and we're so eager to just be disobedient because we feel like we have a righteous reason for it. So let's talk about what the scripture says here and, and how we do this properly. Yeah. And you've already cited this passage, but I want to, I want to read through the whole thing. And this passage is near and dear to our hearts. Cause right, this is where our tagline comes from. So I'm looking at uh second Peter, second Peter, First Peter, uh, chapter two, starting in verse thirteen, and I'm gonna read. Um, I'm gonna read through. I'm just gonna read, and I'll stop whenever I want. <laughs> it, it says, happen. starting in verse thirteen, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Right. That that's that's a pretty universal statement. Every human institution. Right. right. Whether no it be to the emperor as supreme, so they're saying whether it's the highest level of the earthly governments. Or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Right? So this, just to pause there, it's saying any any legitimate earthly institution that God has placed you under, you are to be obedient and subject to that institution. Whether it's the very highest level of that institution or the very next level right above you, you're to be subject to it. Uh, or And then it says, for this is the will of God. This is the purpose clause for why we are to do that. Um, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorant, foolish people. The ignorance of foolish people. So the purpose of obeying governing authorities is to be a testimony and to put to silence the foolishness of ignorant people. 
live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then this is this is the tagline. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. And we don't read this part, but it's just as central to our our whole program here as as that tagline is fear God and honor the emperor. Right. Right. So just to just to summarize that. Right. We're to live as people who are free but not using that freedom as a cover up to do evil. So when, when we exercise our Christian liberty and the, the confession says this, when we exercise our Christian liberty in a way that is sinful, we are not actually exercising Christian liberty, right? We're actually doing something else. And so when we use our freedom in America as a cover up for evil by disobeying lawful orders, then what we're actually doing is we're not living as servants of God. We're serving our own self-interest. And then it says, fear God, honor everyone. And there's these, these two clauses, right? Honor everyone. So be respectful and show due honor to everyone. All people love the brotherhood. Like this echoes what Paul says in Galatians, right? Do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Fear God first, honor the emperor second. Right. So even within this just passage here, we have this whole structure of saying you're to obey every governing institution, every human institution, insofar as you're able to honor everyone, love the brotherhood. So be faithful to everyone, be treat everyone well, and also show special love and attention to your Christian brothers and sisters. Insofar as you're able to both fear God by serving him and obeying his law, you honor the emperor. And then it goes on here. And this, this is the kicker, right? This is the self-sacrifice, take up your cross part that most people don't ever get to when they start quoting this passage. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So all of that, all of that nonsense about saying like, we don't have to listen to a president who's not, not a good president. We don't have to obey a governor that is not actually a, uh, a terror to evil and is not actually joyful to good. Right. They take that, that part out of Paul where he says like, this is the purpose of government to do, you know, if you do good, then they're to reward you. If you do bad, they're to punish you. Well, if they're not doing that, we don't have to listen to them. Peter just throws that on its head. You obey them, whether they're good and good and gentle or whether they're unjust. And then he says, this is a gracious thing when the mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So this whole passage is saying the purpose of honoring government is to be a Christian testimony to those who are opposed to the gospel. And we see this time and time again through martyrdom, right? I, I don't think that we're at the point where we should start necessarily talking about this as Christian persecution. There's not really any indication that I've seen that the, the what we'll talk about are unjust orders by certain state governors and, and other kinds of legislative bodies, that that's specifically trying to like crush the church. I don't, I just don't see that logic having any weight um, because they're not focusing on Christians specifically. Right. But even if that were the case, martyrdom when done with a, not with a grudging heart, but in a heart that cares for and loves and tries to continue to preach the gospel to those who are killing them. That is some of the most powerful gospel preaching that the church has ever seen. And we, I think when we refuse to suffer under persecution or suffer under ungodly unlawful orders, when we refuse to do that, we're actually missing an opportunity to preach the gospel. 
That's all true. I mean, what, I think what we're kind of saying, like in summary, is when someone in authority over us treats us unjustly, the example, of course, we're to follow is the one that was set for us by Christ, who simply continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so um, part of me wonders if what if this, all of this, is God is using this to help teach us obedience, that we're, we're dying on the wrong hills on this altogether. We're just missing the point and that it's easy to think that our Christian walk has strong fidelity and that we are able to pass the test when nothing inconveniences us. But I think where some of us are surprised by where the inconvenience is coming from, we didn't anticipate it would be here. So we've heard this for most of our lives, this idea of, well, you need to pick up your cross. And so we'll say, well, I need to be less selfish and I need to figure out ways to put my sin to death and I need to be more loving and charitable. What is it? What if it's, you need to be more charitable with the way in which you obey the government that God has been, has established over you. And again, the obedience we're talking about to me is still manifested in minor issues. And what I mean is like, I'm seeing so much stuff about people saying, well, I resent being kept quote unquote safe from right. the virus by government mandate because I've been exposed to viruses all my life. And so curtailing relationships is actually causing more harm for me than right. good. And, and so I should be able to you know, decide how to engage. And that's the kind of thing where I'm thinking, but this is, we're just missing the points. And right. like, if, if we're going to die on that hill, if Christians are all going to get up and say, well, you can't, and this is nothing to do about like gathering for Lord's Day worship. Let's just say like, I just don't like quarantine. I don't want to wear a mask. I want to go right. where I want to go. I want to do the things I want to do. And because I have liberty of either I'm when I'm trying to make it a Christian issue of liberty or whether it's just, you know, the sense that I have my own rights that I can assert. I just can't imagine like there's no testimony there. Honestly, there's, there's no testimony there. The testimony there actually is the one that says, uh, as Paul challenges elsewhere, like to outdo one another in showing love and generosity and graciousness is the person that just puts the mask on all the time, even when right. it might be unnecessary, even when the person says like, no, no, no it's okay. And you'd be like, no, no, no this is me protecting you. Like, I, I just right. want to, I'm respect, trying to respect you. And it's something that I know that we've been instructed in that we ought to do. So it's like, I can't even get behind a lot of these arguments because I think they're so tiny. Like the things that we're debating yeah. and arguing, it, it, like to your point, if we're going to have a conversation about martyrdom, that's a whole different thing. Like right. we can have that conversation and, and we can really try to parse out what might be nuanced there. Although I doubt there's a whole lot of nuance, but here it's like we're creating nuance on top of nuance on issues yeah. that are already nuanced. And that yeah. really what the Bible makes so clear is I, I think the Bible is saying to us, especially in the honor, everyone, you know, love the brotherhood is for the love of God. And I mean that literally for the love of God, put on the mask, be compliant with what's going on here, because these are not standing in distinction to the law of God. And in fact, I think some ways the prerogative of the government here, of course, we don't know the intention, but in some respects, the bottom line, the intention is to try to keep people safe. Yeah, And they're trying to show love in a really strange way. You can't, of course, legislate love, which is why Christians should be taking all of these prescriptions that the government is, is setting forth right now. And they should, I think, actually be leaning into them, embracing them, and changing them by the way that they take on them with an attitude that yeah. is distinctly Christian. And yeah. that, in its own way, would not only accomplish what the government cannot do, but it would give a testimony that shows that Jesus is alive in his people and he's eternally contemporary in the way that we live, even when we come to these unknown times. So yeah. that I know it's like I just went into like a sermon in a soapbox. So I'm I'm sorry, but like I do get fired up about this because I, I so badly want Christians 
I, it's not that I think Christians are misrepresenting the gospel or not representing the gospel well. It just seems to me, what a, there's all this latent potential here. What a beautiful, a real beautiful opportunity to do something small in a super loving way. And we're so quick to quote the scriptures and to quote Mother Teresa by saying things like, there's you know, no great love, only small things done with great love. But yeah. when it comes to just not being whiners, and that's not to say like, again, I don't want to be misunderstood. If you have a legitimate reason not to do these things, if you have a medical reason not to wear the mask, then you don't wear the mask. Yeah. I, what I'm challenging myself and everybody else, I guess, is that are we really passing all this through the sieve of the scripture? Is that really, are we being really honest with our intentions when we don't want to do something? Are we being really transparent with ourselves? Do we actually stop and take a second to try to understand the root of why we're not want to do something? Or is it just easier to just be disagreeable and to fire online and to try to use the Bible to support what often is an ambition that is rooted in self-interest rather than in God's interest? Yeah. Yeah, I think that you're I think you're spot on. So so we're gonna run out of time, but I wanna make sure we touch on a couple of these situations that are going on in the world where I actually think civil disobedience is warranted. So th- there's a couple specific ones and, and I wanna throw the disclaimer out there. Yes, I remember that I said that Christians should obey the law or the executive orders that say don't gather in groups greater than X, even if that means not having Lord's Day worship. There's a difference between what I'm going to say now and and those situations, and, and I'm sure that we'll get lots of emails about it. But there are several states now um, who, on, on actually on sort of reasonable scientific grounds, but but nevertheless have said, sure, churches can meet, but they can't sing. Or now they're saying churches specifically, houses of worship specifically cannot meet because, you know, there's a couple news articles about churches specifically being tied to outbreaks, which uh, is hashtag fake news in a lot of ways anyways. But it's it's interesting because when I first heard that, someone was saying it to me in kind of the sense of like, what are you going to do now, Arsenal? That now, now, you know, you said to listen to before and now you're saying what? And I said, I guess it's time for civil disobedience. And the reason for that is that we're commanded to sing, right? So, so it's, it would not be a sin. <clears throat> I don't think at least I, if I need to, I can make a good argument for it, but it's not a sin for a given congregation for a given week or for a, or a period of time to decide not to sing any more than it is a sin for a given congregation for a legitimate reason not to gather or not to have the Lord's Supper, right? The, the Lord's Supper is an element of worship. Baptism is an element of worship, but choosing not to do a baptism when you have someone who could be baptized or choosing not to do the Lord's Supper, that's a matter of prudence uh, that each individual congregation and their leadership decides on. And so right. a congregation may for a time say, we, we don't think it's wise for us to sing. So we're going to fulfill this command insofar as we can and still obey what we believe the sixth command would require of us to preserve life. But... When we have the government specifically targeting houses of worship, either to close because they're houses of worship, because they think there's somehow some greater risk in houses of worship, and I'm using that term because that's the way that the the states are usually saying it, 
that there's some greater risk when houses of worship get together and sing than there is when uh, people congregate at uh, a you know a local football game or if they congregate at the supermarket in line, right? They're, they're trying to isolate this specific subset of people as people of faith who are worshiping, not necessarily because they're people of faith. That's why I'm saying I don't quite think that it's persecution. But now they're commanding us to do something unlawful, not in the sense of a generally applicable law, which would say it doesn't matter who you are or why you're gathering regularly scheduled meetings over 10 people are now now prohibited for the time being. That's a lawful order. We should obey that lawful order and we're not sinning when we do so. But when the government highlights and specifically calls out a particular group of um, faith based individuals, that's a violation of the law of the land. Right. And and so far, the lawsuits that have been brought against these things have have absolutely gone through. It's been like no question. Even the liberal courts are like, what are you doing? You can't you can't say churches can't meet. You can't write people tickets for gathering in the parking lot of the church. Like you can't do that. So so I think in those cases, civil disobedience is absolutely warranted. Again, it may not be wise. It may be that the session should almost irrespective, right? We've made the argument that like whether the government tells us that we should wear masks or not, it, that's almost irrelevant. It might might make our decision a little easier, but we should really be thinking about that and probably doing it whether or not it's it's a legal mandate or not. It's just the smart thing to do. It's wise. It's it's the safest way to do it. Um, we don't want people getting sick. So, but the, the key is if if you're going to execute this civil disobedience, to do it in a way that still honors the persons, right? right? Exactly. When that police officer comes to your church and says, I have to write you a ticket because uh, you, uh, you're gathering and the governor said you can't. It's not that police officer's fault, right? He's not the one that is unlawfully oppressing you. You can make the argument, and, and there are certain jurisdictions where this is happening. Maybe that police officer should have stood up and said, I'm not going to do that. That's I swore to uphold the Constitution, and the Constitution clearly says that there's freedom of, of expression and freedom of practice of religion. Like We can't interfere with the free practice of religion. Um, it's interesting. I, I've been seeing this. I don't really want to call it a meme. It's really just a wall of text, but there's this interesting thing that's going along along on the internet, and it actually is along the same lines is it's strange to think about it, but when you enter a privately owned store, that's a human institution that you're voluntarily submitting yourself to, right? That's private property. They own the property. They make the rules. And a lot of them are now saying, if you come to our store and you're not wearing a mask, we're going to tell you to leave. And there's this thing going around that's like the the kid at the front desk or at the door who's checking masks and saying, you got to turn around and go because you don't have a mask. It's not his or her fault. That they didn't do this. So getting mad at them and yelling at them and spitting in their face, first of all, that's probably going to land you in jail. But second of all, like it's not their fault. So so we have to still do this in a way, in a sense, that kid at the door is the civil magistrate of Walmart. Like it's <laughs> right. a weird way to say it, but that's what he's doing. He's enforcing the rules of the institution that he is a part of, and he's been delegated to do that. And wake up, everyone. That's that's God's ordained authority being executed right. through that 17-year-old kid at the door at Walmart. Like, it's weird to say it that way, but it's the truth. And we have to start thinking about that, that that person who's doing that, they're still image bearers, and we have to respect not only their office, but them as a person. Right. Yeah, that that's great. I have nothing to add to that. I think that's right on. And that's, I think, hopeful, hopefully that's important for people to think about as they have their own conversations, because 
I don't think you're not nuancing stuff there. You're not parsing stuff. We're talking about right. something different. So we're, we're, yeah. all, everything we talked about, this idea of be, saying that you cannot sing. And we talked about this, like, it, you know, it's how you, like you said, how you go about complying with that while you're being disobedient is I would hope that people would be singing like socially distant with their masks on right. <laughs> because that would show that when they are confronted then with that behavior, what it shows is that there is the thing, the, in other words, it shows a purity of motive. The reason why they're not complying is not just because they want to be difficult or because everything is inconvenient. If the policeman shows up and everybody's complying with everything else, they're distant from one another, they're wearing their masks and they're singing, it's clear that then what's going on here is that it's the singing itself. That is the testimony. This is something right. that God has commanded us to do. And yet we're going to be as polite and respectful in the disobedient of this one thing. And we're going to pick that thing because this is the thing. That's that's start stands in distinction against God's law, but with everything else, we're going to show that we're being gracious and charitable, that we're honoring everyone and loving the brotherhood like that. Right. I, I, so I think like I'm hoping again that people will take this. This will be a foil, and people will run with this conversation among their friends, family, and their peers, and really try to understand how we can really be loving toward one another in, in this period of time and. How we can maybe again understand that this is God is teaching us so much about obedience, and that we never anticipated it would come from this kind of angle. But because it's here and it's it's exogenous, it's a, from the outside, and we as Westerners tend to be a little more introspective, and we read the Bible in a way that's more about internal struggle than it is about external struggle. But here's a real external one, and so I, you know, I've heard this isn't my idea. I've heard several people use the passage where Jesus is speaking, of course, in the Beatitudes, and he's speaking about the the customary tradition of the Roman soldier making you carry his pack for one right. mile. And people have rightly said, what does that look like right now where there is a government imposition in that example that Jesus gives? And we're talking about several other government impositions right now. Right. To your point, which are the ones that we're going to actually die on? Which hills? Because that is what the scripture commands. And what are the other ones? And here's the irony. There's only two options here. There isn't a middle option to be whiny about small things that are just unjust. Yeah. The options are either you die on that hill because that's exactly what God has commanded you to do in civil disobedience. And the other end of that spectrum, and there is just two points on it, is you are obedient to an extent that is radical right. in complying with it. Yeah. B because you show that your master, the true power of all this is not in the magistrates or the one that represents him, but is in the true King of glory, who's Jesus Christ. And in obedience yeah. to him, you can still do these things, again, in a way that radically redefines them. It seems to me God is doing something really great. He's in the, He's in the, on the move in our midst in, the, in all these things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping, especially for myself, I can take him at his word to trust that if there's, if we're going to go you know, along with the R.C. Sproul style, there's no rogue molecule, right? Isn't that his thing? Yeah. And I totally agree with that. Then don't we also also have to say there is no rogue politician that all this that's happening, of course, is under God's purview, his yeah. superintending will. And he means for us to be in the middle of it. And he means for us, I think, to be obedient to him. And there are, I think, rare occasions, at least now, where that would result in civil disobedience. But for the most part, I think it requires our obedience to the government in a way that shows obedience to the King of glory. Yeah. And we got to bring those two things together, loved ones, because I, I, I fear that even if people that are not Christians dip into some of our conversations, especially online, they will be totally confused and somewhat turned off from this, the gospel, because there's so much arguing. And it's like you said, Tony, it's, it's on point, And I think people don't want to admit this a lot of times. 
it's so right now co- commingled and convoluted with Western political theory yeah. that it, people easily conflate the two. Christians will conflate the two, and then unbelievers are, get totally tripped up. They think yeah. that Christianity is about a political party or a set of ideals wrapped up in some kind of political agenda, and we really need to move beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know that there's ever been a more appropriate time or way for us to close this episode than after we went through this topic. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, I think I'm appreciative that we talked about this. I, I, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm going to get things wrong. We have to show grace to each other. Exactly. But I will say this, because this has been something that's been a dust up in my own personal relationships online recently. It's not gracious to refuse to call sin, sin. And so sometimes we see other people that we believe are sinning. And yes, it's true. You don't, we're not obligated to call out every single sin every single time. That just wouldn't be possible. We would do nothing but sit on the corner and point out sin. And that's not what God has called us to. But there are times where we have to be direct and bold and straightforward with our brothers and sisters because we love them and we care about them and say, what you're doing and how you're handling this is sinful. And we have to be able to articulate why that is. And you know what? There's going to be times that someone says that to me and I have to say, yeah, you're, you're right. I need to right. repent of me that. Too. And I need to, I need to go back to the scriptures. I need to study harder, but what doesn't do. And that happens in this conversation is happening all the time. It's for us just to default to Tay. Well, that's just a difference of opinions. Right. If we're talking about the biblical law, right? This is, this is goes back to that Christian Liberty issue. Christian Liberty is not freedom to sin. So when we're talking about matters of sin versus non-sin, that's not a Christian liberty issue. That's not a matter of conviction. It's not a matter of conscience to decide to do something that's sinful or not. That That's an abuse of liberty. It's not. It's no liberty at all. So, so we have to be gracious to each other, but we also have to be gracious enough to each other to be willing to sharpen each other, sometimes with words that, are, that hurt, right? The wounds of an enemy are to be trusted, but or the wounds of a friend are to be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses, right? right? Someone who just sits there and pats your back all day and tells you you're great and doesn't ever call you to account for the, the sinful things that you know you do is not really your friend. So, so with all of that said, you know, have some grace, especially for your pastor. He is trying to navigate this stuff in a world that he was never prepared for in seminary. He had no idea he was ever going to have to deal with this kind of thing. It's not unprecedented, but I guarantee you that he never took a class in seminary about emergency management and legal theory about how to read an executive order. Like that's just not the way it was. So show extra grace to your church leadership, show as much extra grace to your brothers and sisters as you can, which may include telling them that they're wrong about something. I know that's not popular, but sometimes it's required. Um, And most of all, make sure that you're showing honor to the civil magistrates who are doing in in most cases, they're just doing their best to try to keep the keep the world safe. Like they're they're doing their best to understand things that they don't understand and to take responsible actions to try to save lives. There are some that are power hungry and are overstepping their bounds. But this idea that this is some some sort of like grand conspiracy narrative to to crush freedom in the wet, like this just doesn't. It just doesn't work. That's that's like you might as well believe in lizard people trying to take over the government. It just isn't. You know, there are power hungry people that are going to abuse the situation. Yes. Fact. Yes. But for the most part, that doesn't appear to be what's going on. And even if that were all true and this was a grand effort, some coordinated plan to do that very thing, the Christian response would still be the example of Jesus, wouldn't it? Which would say, bear the injustice in Jesus yep. name. 
in full obedience in so much as it does not go against the law of God. So I'm with you. If we come across as like a little bit strong or a little bit preachy, it's honestly because we care a lot about this. You and I, we actually spoke about this this past week in casual conversation. We got just as fired up about it with each other because I think we do have a heart and a passion for part of the reason we started this podcast is to have this very conversation, this type of conversation, which was, it was a real and a little bit raw and a little bit processed in real time and all kinds of passionate because yeah. we want to be the kind of people that feel deeply about Jesus Christ and about obedience to him because we've been changed and transformed deeply in the heart. And so we're trying to get our minds, I think, to constantly kind of push back into our hearts so that our attitudes are commensurate with what we know yeah. to be true. And this is harder on average for reformed people. And I've had several conversations with people in this time where they've said some pretty challenging things to me. And there've been times where I haven't really enjoyed it and not more than sometimes minutes later, I've thought they are right. And my attitude is really bad on this particular point. And it's just getting to a place almost where you can just say, God, search me and know me on this thing and see what is in my heart and help me to be an obedient, loving follower, a son or daughter that's been changed by you know, the Holy Spirit, and then in that transformation is now a son or daughter of the king. And yeah. that's my, my political loyalty lies there first and foremost. This is a hard thing, but I hope that like we'll help each other. So I'm with you. We need equal part grace and, and maybe equal part a little bit of hard love. Like some of us need to say to one another, you need to do this thing. Or it's okay to say to a Christian, I don't, I'm perceiving that your attitude is really off the mark on this and that that is not a Christian attitude that you should be doing. Even if you're doing this thing and you're doing it begrudgingly, we, can we, can we agree? Maybe you can, I agree. Can we agree? We need to have those conversations with each other and that maybe what's happening now is just the right Petri dish in which to do it because there's so much that's out there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just hope that people don't tune this out, turn us off and are willing to have a conversation on their own. Yeah. Yeah, I think we just started episode 197. <laughs> so before we uh, carry off into a whole nother episode, I'm going to I'm going to bring us home. So Jesse had the most appropriate ending ever for this topic. Yes. Until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Oh.